Hello and welcome to episode 18 of Yes OBS. I am, as always, Anthony Edmondson, also known as VoiceOver Tony, and I am with my very good friend, Paul Anthony Jones, also known as Mr. Haggard Hawks. Now, Paul, last week, even though I won, I felt, I don't know, I felt like I wasn't really on form last week. Oh, really? I felt really off. I'd love to contribute to this conversation, but I literally can't remember what happened last week. It was week. literally seven days ago. Paul. I know, yeah. But I can't remember what I did yesterday. I mean, a week ago. You <laughs> You're lucky an I'm hour like. ago were you. Yeah, true. Who, who am I again? <laughs> <laughs> but today I'm like, I'm I'm really fired up today. Oh some... no, he's got one of these Ooh, on. Ooh, really excited <laughs> oh, no. in my voice. I'm like, I'm really buzzing because... Yeah, last time this happened, you, you said that you were pert or something. <laughs> Did you not like absolutely crash and burn by like <laughs> Every time. five points to one? Every time I come in with blind confidence, it's always a crash and burn. True. But yeah. today I feel confident because I've got two quite like interesting and involved facts, like as normal, as with uh-huh. interesting. Oh, yeah. And um, my third fact is what I'd like to term a vengeance fact. Oh, no. Right. We do this quite a bit where yes. we go back and forth. Revisiting. Revisiting old facts yeah. where we've been got in the past. Uh, yeah. But I'm saving that for the last. That's oh, the cherry. God. I'm instantly cherry. now thinking, is it Dr. Seuss? <laughs> oh, is it Tolkien? Do you have is to... Is it pigs driving cars? You just have to wait. Okay, oh. that's it. so that's going to be your last fact. <laughs> it is. The okay. cherry on the top All of right. my cake of lies yeah. today. Okay, right. But first, I want to talk to you about accents. Oh, right. So it's a nice, it's kind of language-based. Yeah. But this is the problem, though, so when you do languages, if I get it wrong, <laughs> but like my whole career is is language. Don't stuff. worry, there's a there's a twist on okay. the end right. of this. You always do this, though. You always go, oh, I'm going to talk about <laughs> accents. And then the fact will be like, did you know walruses have nine heads? <laughs> it be like, you just end up in completely it's wrong always, direction. It's six degrees of separation, Paul. Yeah, okay. You start off with one fact, okay. you, you lead on to the next and the next. Right, accents. Some of us, some of us care about this podcast <laughs> and want to put effort into it what you mean you don't just cobble these together <laughs> half an hour before you get here <laughs> well sometimes i do <laughs> anyway so as people might know we were from the northeast of england mm-hmm. so we have geordie accents mm. now just if you could guess there was a survey on the top 50 sexiest accents in Ooh. the world where was geordie I Jordy th- was actually in the top 50. Yeah, I, th- I um, in the world. In the world. Oh, right. Okay. Because I know that it always sort of comes very near to the top or is the top of like those most trustworthy ones. Or, like... Ooh, we'll get to this in a second. Oh, right, Don't okay. you worry. There's a, there's, a, there's a step to this. If it's the sexiest in the mm. world, well, obviously it would be number one. <laughs> no, no. Um, we'll end I, the episode there. So. Uh, in the world, mm. um, 22nd. Not quite. We were only 41 out what? of 50. What? What were these other 40? We were right behind Latvia. <laughs> right. <laughs> In the sexy accents list. Okay. D- can you take a guess? Top five. I've, I reckon maybe Irish is up there. Irish is three. The Irish is a nice accent. Uh, yep, Irish is number three. Um, Maybe... I, I quite like the Australian accent. Ooh, number five ah. was Australian. Um, so yeah, I'm so mainstream in my taste. <laughs> yeah, look at you. See, if it's the world, it mm, could be anything. It exactly. could be like Uruguayan or something. Mm. I'd like, um, I mean, I'd, it must be like the sort of Hollywood accent, like Californian American. No, I'll get to the American accents in oh, a bit. Right. They, they weren't near the top in any way, oh. I think. Oh, wow. Actually, there was one, but we'll get to that. Um, number, number one was New Zealand. Oh, I was going to say that. Yeah, mm. that's a good accent. South African was number two. Ah. Uh, Irish number three. 
Italian number four. Oh, yeah. And Australian number five. Oh, right. Okay. The generic, like, US generic Hollywood accent wasn't even featured in there. Oh, right. Um, Southern United States, like Southern Belle, was number nine. Right. Which is my personal favorite accent. I love <laughs> the Southern Belle accent. Uh, You'd so live in the past. It's <laughs> just like your head's like all. Wow, like, so. <laughs> so like white linen suits and river boats and <laughs> playing poker on a river boat in the eighteen hundreds. Moonshine, <laughs> jugs with crosses on it. <laughs> Honestly, that would be a life to live. But um, the Boston accent was number 28 and New York was 44. Oh, I didn't think New York would be... Because a New York accent's quite harsh, isn't hey. it? Hey! Yeah. Although, no, it is quite charming, I suppose. That's all I can do, really. Oh, was that it? I thought that was just you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but actually, there's a bit of more of a slightly serious point to this because I think um, people can be judged on the accents that they have. Unfairly so as well. Exactly. And actually, when I was doing the research... This is all true, by the way, mm. up to now. Apparently, in the survey, eight out of ten employers admitted to making discriminating decisions based on regional accents. Wow. That yeah. doesn't surprise me, though. Mm. And they had... Um, actually, the Geordie accent was voted quite sexy and friendly, but it was voted... Uh, quite unintelligent as well <laughs> which was a bit a bit harsh I have think. you not heard this podcast they must have just listened to you paul yeah true <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> can't remember what happened last week uh, but yeah this the queen's english rp was voted most trustworthy mm. and the devon accent was number two most oh, trustworthy. The trustworthy scale yeah like, oh, oh wait, right, nice to meet okay. you there, sir i'm from devon or is that more of a Cornwall thing? I don't know. It's just a generic I apologize. West country. I apologize to any West Country listeners. Mm. But this is where we're taking the twist. Okay, right. This is where the walruses come in. So my fact today is that sign language has different accents as well. Mm. So the same way um, the spoken language will have different accent based on where your city is. Mm-hmm. Um, sign language for the deaf will also have different hand signs depending on what city you're in. Or it's even like northern US, uh, southern US states as well. Right. And it comes from when the very first academies uh, were set up for sign language. They tended to be localised in one city. There wasn't like a standard, this is how we do sign language. Mm. I think the first recorded use of sign language is around the 1500s, but it was in the 18th century. No way. Yeah. Oh, wow. 1500s. But it was the 18th century when the proper sign language schools first started to get set up. And it's from here where we get different accents. 1500s. That's insane. Yes. But I'm going to try and describe some of these accents. Oh, right. Okay. So the different ways to say the United States... In right. different British sign languages. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, here we go. This uh, this <clears throat> is going to work really well on a podcast. I was going to say this is this is the power of my descriptive <laughs> powers. Obviously, with that sentence, it's just, uh, this yeah. doesn't board well. Would you rather switch into sign language now? <laughs> <laughs> so, in a Cardiff accent, you take the right hand, hold it flat, place it under the chin. That is the United States. Really? Why? Yes. I don't. I didn't invent sign language, Paul. Uh, putting your hand, the back of your hand on your chin. Yes, but the back of your right hand under your chin means United States. Yes, that's so strange. How different are these? Like, is the next one like putting <laughs> the fingers of your right hand under this your chin? One of them is quite different. Okay. Um. So if you're in London and it would say United States, you would hold your right hand flat again, but this time with the tips of your fingers touch your right cheekbone. Oh. Okay, so he's slightly higher up. Slightly higher up. And slightly further out. And then in Newcastle, this is where, this, this is the most different one. Shout out to Newcastle. So hold your right hand, hold it flat in front of you, palm facing your chest, and then put your left thumb on your right middle finger. 
Now I'm mumming. I don't know why I'm mumming this. That just looks it. like you've hurt your thumb. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's it. If, so those are how different the accents can be in the UK. Okay. And that, Paul, is my fact. What a great fact to have on a purely auditory medium. I did think of this as I was going through, <laughs> but I thought, you know what? I, I can describe these. Okay. Uh, this is interesting. <clears throat> yeah, sign language intrigues me. It's something that, although I'm interested in language, something I don't know an awful lot about. And it does make sense that there would be sort of regional variations. And I know that there are, like, everything that you have in sort of written language and spoken language, you have in sign language. So there are tongue twisters. Oh, really? Which are called finger fumblers, I think, in sign language. Mm. And we have, instead of having a slip of the tongue, they have what are called lapsus digitorum or something, which is like a slip of the finger. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the a lot of the things that you kind of wouldn't, might well, might not think you have in sign language, you actually do. This thing of regional variations, this mm. does make sense. And it's ringing a very vague bell that there are accents in sign language, so... Yeah, I, I, yeah, it makes sense. I'm going to say yes, this is true. Is that your final answer? It is. This is true. Ah, very good. I think I, this is, pro- I, I'm starting to think this might be a lot more well known than I thought it might have been. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just, as I was researching it, it seemed to be quite interesting to me. I'm sure I've posted something on Haggard Hawks before about, maybe, maybe not about accents, but certainly I've done some sign language facts before. So w- it could it, be that I'm completely relying on you forgetting everything you've ever posted on Haggard Hawks, which is usually, just, yeah. is usually the case. I don't I don't get all my facts from Haggard Hawks. <laughs> you just test me on my own memory of my own when I When account. I said at the beginning, I, I did a lot of work. It's just, I literally troll Haggard <laughs> Hawks for old facts. <laughs> so how many do you post a day on Haggard Hawks? About a dozen. But I set them all up in advance. It just sort of runs in the oh, background. You've, you've lifted back the veil. I know, the, yeah. The inner this workings. Is like, this is like the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Only a lot less entertaining. <laughs> well done, Paul. And as usual, when I come blazing out the gates with over self-confidence... <laughs> I'm immediately knocked. Fall <laughs> flat on your face. Fall flat on my face. <laughs> this is just sums up my life, though. Every time I leave the house, I'm like, right, today, today, Tony, you're going to attack today. You've got to do really well. You've got to, you got to get that job. You've got to, you got to do that exercise. And then, boosh, I just tripped down yeah, the stairs. This has turned done. into like a therapy session. For <laughs> <you>. <laughs> it all started when I was a child. <laughs> this is the only four-hour episode of Just Up the End. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got the chance to pull a point back here. I do. I should say that. I see. You know, last week you didn't think you did very well. And you, you absolutely walked that. Episode, I did. Four-two, I think. Yeah. Last week. Yeah. So try reverse psychology. So say you're not feeling very confident about it, and you'll be fine. Every time I'm hungover or not confident, I win. Yeah. But anyway, well, we... you know what your answer is. Then. <laughs> We've done enough for my psyche. <laughs> yeah. What is your fact? Okay. Um, right. I'm going to start with a little quiz question for you. Ooh, I like it already. What of the? Oh, should I give you a bonus point for this? Yes. Do it. Okay. Ooh, I, yeah, all right, okay, yeah, okay. Um, what have these four kings got in common? Mm-hmm. Edward the Confessor, David the First of Scotland, mm-hmm. Alfred the Great, Ooh. Charles the First. They all had irritable bowel syndrome or Crohn's <laughs> disease. Is that a serious answer? Yes. <laughs> See, now instantly I want to know, A, why you think that's a good answer. Like, what do you know about them that I don't? Literally, because I was reading about Alfred the Great the other day. And right. he had um, like a mystery illness for, oh, most, right, for a okay. lot of his life. Right. And people thought it might have been like Crohn's disease or right. like a really bad form of irritable bowel syndrome. Oh, right. Okay. So I thought I was really confident there. Oh, right. Okay. Just a second. I want, I want another guess. <laughs> no, you're, you're right. This fact is about Crohn's disease. <laughs> 
No, it's it's genuinely not. You know, no, it isn't that. Do you want to uh, listen list them again? So Alfred the Great, Alfred the Great, Edward the Confessor, mm-hmm. uh, he of ten sixty six and all mm-hmm. that. David the First of Scotland, mm-hmm. Charles the First. Mm. This is a good quiz question. Ooh, this really is. They were all kings. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, that's right. <laughs> that's bonus point for me. Uh, but no, that isn't the answer I'm looking no, for. No, I, I couldn't guess. They were it. all canonized. Really? Yeah, they were all made saints. Uh, yeah. And there is a name that you can add to this list as well, but it's kind of questionable whether his canonization ever eventually went through. And that mm. is, do you know the other king that was potentially mm, no. canonized? It's Henry the Sixth. Mm. So, some facts about Henry VI before we get on to oh, his... Oh, I was going to ask, like, why were they canonised? But... Oh, well, you know, that's, we'll, we'll get on to that, because my fact Ooh. is about Henry VI. Right. Um, so, uh, some facts about him. He was born in 1421, mm-hmm. died in 1471. A bit sort of ineffectual mm. as things go. He was made king when he was nine months old. Hey, that's career progression. That's yeah. That. They, now, there's someone who attacks the day when he gets up. <laughs> if only there was some clue as to why his reign was ineffectual. Maybe it's because he's a 10-month-old trying to run a country. No, um, yeah, it was a little bit ineffectual. And he had sort of lots of advisors and all the rest of it who looked after his reign while he was sort of too young to really do it. But he was naturally quite a sort of shy and reserved character. So, yeah, he ended up being kind of a little bit shambolic and a bit disorganised and a bit sort of ineffectual. He's really mirrored your own life. <laughs> yeah, quite, quite effectively. Sh- shy and shambolic. <laughs> bit ineffective. <laughs> Made a name for himself by the time he was nine months old. It's just a check of the boxes in my who's who, Henry. Um, yeah, now, he, he lost a lot of England's claims in France, I think. Mm. By the time he died, only Calais was left. I, th- yeah, um, I think before that, did he have a lot of like what was then Aquitaine? Yeah, right down, of, right down like the, the, the west, west coast. coast yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But by the time he died, only Calais was left, uh, which is ironic because he's the only king of England who was also crowned king of France. Mm. He was Henry Henry the Second of France as well mm. as Henry the Sixth of English. Yeah, he was deposed for a time during the Wars of the Roses and then restored to the throne in 1470 and then died in, quote-unquote, mysterious circumstances in the Tower of London in 1471. After which time, a sort of cult emerged of, like, he was such an interesting character and he was hard done by and uh, he was deposed and then died in these odd circumstances. So he's seen as a bit of a martyr. Mm. Reading up on it, it's kind of like, this is all true, by the way. Mm. Reading up on it, it's kind of like, you know, this sort of, posthumous thing about Richard III that's, mm. that, that still is today about you know how, how the fact he was sort of hard done by mm. by history kind yeah, of old, old hunchback Richard he's like all mm. the propaganda that the Tudors put out yeah it seems to kind of been almost like that because mm. by the time Henry VII came on the throne who was the first Tudor monarch who was Henry VI's nephew um, he kind of saw this popularity he kind of saw this undercurrent of Henry VI was actually quite a popular king um, and started propagandising a lot so there was like his uh, his remains were taken to St George's Chapel in Windsor and that kind of became like a little shrine to Henry VI and there was little pilgrim tokens were handed out to people who came to visit him so yeah this kind of cult of Henry VI started to emerge in what would have been early 1500s I mm. guess by this time um, and Henry VII started to make kind of movements to have him canonised but one of the things that has to happen for you to be canonized is that uh you have a miracle a miracle Mm. attributed to you but there was no shortage of miracles attributed to henry the sixth and henry the seventh commissioned a compilation 
this is all true this is all true um, a book of miracles uh, called the posthumous miracles of Henry VI of England uh, was published we don't know who wrote it it's anonymous but it was put together and it was kind of part of Henry VII's petition to the Pope to get Henry VI canonized so all of this as I say is true 130 something of these miracles were recorded in this book. 130? And about... He was... Yeah, and about 500 of them didn't make the final (laughs) cut. Okay, so... 500... I don't think Jesus (laughs) had that many in the Bible. Yeah. 500 miracles? Are you kidding? Yeah. Um, So, whether these miracles are true or not... I'm feeling they might not be. In the sense of, um, yeah, whether you actually believe these miracles took place or not is one thing. Uh, The fact is, I'm going to give you three miracles. These are either genuine miracle stories from this collection or I've made them up. Are these like my recipe book where all... there's one point for each one, no. or is it they're all, all yeah. together? They're either all, together. all true or all false. Or they're all false. Gotcha. Okay, but everything up to now is completely true. So gotcha. the fact that this book exists mm. is completely true. Cool. So are these true miracles Ooh, attributed lo- to Henry the Sixth? Looking forward to this. Okay. So uh, a man called Richard Dennis. Okay. <laughs> I love giving you names because you instantly just think the names I've made up. <laughs> But yeah, is a man called Richard Dennis. Um, this being Tudor England, uh, Dennis was spelled D-E-N-Y-S. Denise. Um, now, one of the things that people who venerated Henry VI did, apparently, uh, was fast on Tuesdays. No idea why he might have died on a Tuesday. I don't know. Mm. Um, but Richard Dennis decided to do this. <laughs> and uh, so he fasted uh, one Tuesday and it happened to be the first Tuesday of Lent. And what happened as oh. a result of this? A bean... <laughs> that he had, had to a giant stalk that he had had lodged in his ear for 37 years <laughs> no fell out didn't no please don't let this be true yeah so he, he decides you know i'm going to get on board with this henry the sixth malarkey i'm going to start fasting on tuesdays and happens to be the first tuesday of lent and a bean oh. that had been bothering his ear for 37 years since he was a child fell out of his ear because of henry the sixth isn't that amazing I am or Im- is that B? <laughs> I am immediately <laughs> uncomfortable. Okay, so that's number one, Richard Dennis. Number two, Edmund Brown. He was a toddler. Uh, and <laughs> he loved been... Henry VI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think he was actively part of this cult. Um, but he had been left in the garden of a house in Northamptonshire. And his mother was out there doing the laundry and it was a good laundry day. She's hanging <laughs> up all of the, the blankets and things in the garden. And she goes, you know what? It's such a lovely, blustery laundry day. I think I'll wash my headscarf. So she leaves Edmund pottering around the garden and she takes her headscarf off. She goes back into the house, washes it all out, comes back out, goes to hang it up on this lovely, blustery laundry day. Where's Edmund? (laughs) He's only gone and wandered off and drowned in a cesspit. (laughs) What? That took a left turn. Jesus. I I thought he was like... Got tangled with the washing or something? <laughs> He's drowned in a cesspit. Jesus, Paul, where's... what? What's wrong with that? It could happen if you've Come got on. a cesspit in your garden and an unruly toddler running around on a lovely laundry day. It could happen. Okay, go on. So what happened next? So what happens? Luckily, some passerby while she's going berserk, saying that her, her child has drowned in raw sewage, goes, "You know what? You should pray to Henry the <laughs> Sixth." And what no, happens? Not, oh my God. The child is drowned. So you know what you should do? Pray to Henry the Sixth. Well, it's just as well she did because Edmund <laughs> came back to life. 
<laughs> no. <laughs> no. So that's the story of Edmund Proud. I've got one more of these. A man called William Bartram. Mm-hmm. Interesting fact about William Bartram. Oh, did, um, he, did he fall into a cesspit and fly off into the sky? I, said, I don't know. This he, is nonsense. He took part in one of the first recorded games of football in British history. Mm. Um, in a village called Corston in Nottinghamshire. But unfortunately, during said game of football, which he was displaying to the local villagers, saying, isn't this fantastic sport? Uh, don't you all want to play it? While, <laughs> while he was demonstrating <laughs> it... worst description. I don't like football. Mm. Um, while he was showing off his, you know, his, his skills, mm. what happens? He's only kicked in the genitals. <laughs> By, by that little boy who drowned earlier. Perhaps, perhaps. Um, I should say that the, this book of miracles uh, doesn't record it as genitals. It calls it his most sensitive parts. That's a fair description. So, yeah, um, that's how it happens. And apparently he was in agony for days. days. Jesus, who, how hard was he Days, kicked? I tell you. He must have been kicked pretty hard. But <laughs> l- lucky for old William, what happens? He, ha- he has a dream about Henry VI. And he wakes up cured, all back to normal. Oh, it's, it's as if three or four days rest will will cure it. Some oh, sort of now, physical maybe injury. you've seen through his seen through what, what was up here, but uh, no, he has this lovely dream about Henry the Sixth, and what right. happens? Old William Bartman's back there doing kickabouts. Wasn't because football was quite violent then. It was literally <clears throat> two villages would play football with each other. Oh, and it would be like, and it was more an like a riot. Donnybrook, yeah. Like they had to. Well, the village had to get the ball to the other village, basically. And it was just like two massive. Lumps of people fighting and yeah. kicking and if only it was more like that today. I'd watch it a lot more actually. If it was just like a brawl on a pitch. Yeah. Bring back the Coliseum, I say. Oh Lord, he's on one. <laughs> <laughs> so those are my three right, where... miracle stories. Good old Richard, Edmund and William. Where do I even start yeah. with this? All of those are either true or all of them I made them. First up. of all, that bean falling out of someone's <laughs> ear sounds such like such a stupid lie that you would make up. Why? What? It's like, it's it so, could happen. It's so your M.O. Oh, like a uh, bean fell out of his ear. If, 37 if years. He pushed a bean up there when he was a child. Gives him lots of bother over the oh, years. This is... I'm on the edge again with this one. Right. So... So the, the, this miracle book is true. Everything up to these three stories is completely true. Henry VII wanted his uncle beatified and canonised. Again. So he commissioned this book. This book was sent to the Pope, I think. As part of the sort of case. Did he laugh it out of the Vatican? <laughs> and say, Get rid of this. Yeah, it's possibly why we're not 100% sure whether this <laughs> canonization <laughs> ever went through. Excuse me, I don't think a bean falling out of someone's ear is a miracle. <laughs> but what about the boy who drowned in the cesspit? That's a miracle. He brought him back to life. The thing is, if that was a lie, you would have had to have thought about drowning a child in a cesspit. You, uh, no one actively drowned him in there. He just <laughs> fell in and he couldn't swim. Oh. Right. Um, my previous confidence is long shattered now. <laughs> you, look, you look like a shell of a man. I do. I've, I've had to take my jumper off. I've gone pale. <laughs> oh, right. How do I even start to interrogate this? So 500 miracles. Mm-hmm. Like all, all of that is completely 140 true. got in. Yeah, about that, yeah. A bean fell out of his ear. Yeah, Richard Dennis, a bean fell out of his ear that had been stuck in there for 37 years. Edmund Brown, the toddler, fell in a cesspit and drowned and somehow came back to life. Um, and William Bartram was kicked in the bollocks I... and suddenly woke up pain-free. <laughs> Four days afterwards. <laughs> God. Who would even... No. 
I was about to say this is true, but <laughs> who would even write are... those other two as miracles? That's you... not a miracle. <laughs> I got kicked in the nuts and I was fine four days later. That's not a miracle in anyone's description of miracles. That's just... In... That's the subtitle of your autobiography, isn't it? <laughs> I got kicked in the nuts. <laughs> but see, the, the drowning one, That I can believe that. Um, yeah. But they're really clutching at straws on those other two. I'm going to say this is true, but I'm going to really regret it. Mm-hmm. Because if you get me again with something like this... What? You you, you don't think these things I could think happen? Henry VII was daft enough to write these down <laughs> to canonise his uncle. Mm-hmm. He was clutching at straws like, but maybe in, maybe in the 15th century that was a miracle. Like a bean fell out of my... Like I had something in my tooth for it. Like I just couldn't get it out all day. And that felt really good afterwards. Yeah, so. but imagine that for 37 years. It's because it didn't happen and it's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to do. I don't right screw it I'm just going to say this is true okay final answer those are true miracles attributed to Henry VI yes okay final answer oh god you've got that slug <laughs> on your face yes. do you want to change your answer no it's true okay you going with it yeah those stories yes are true <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh is, yeah, I absolutely love this when I found this out oh, I'm, 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 <laughs> you, you look I'm like you've proper, just ran around the block I'm probably lightheaded. That's genuinely stressful. Why do we play this game? It's horrible, isn't it? <laughs> now, I've got one little follow-up fact Ooh, here, which is this William Bartram guy who is mm. the football person. Um, the person who compiled this book of miracles. Uh, it's funny you said that uh, football was sort of very violent because in hit the description of the William Bartram case and how he was hit in his most sensitive parts, the author of uh, whoever compiled this book wrote... A game I say pretty disgusting and in my opinion at least rowdier than any other type of game. One which rarely ends without some calamity, disaster or injury to those playing it. <laughs> which is like our PE career. <laughs> <laughs> our short-lived PE career. <laughs> yeah, all true. Yeah, oh, well done. Excellent, thank yeah. you. I've, I've read the confidence is slightly back up. Yeah, there. I feel like I need to sort of bolster you I'm along still, a little I'm bit. I'm still like, I've, I've got this feeling in the pit of his stomach. Do you have a lie down? <laughs> yeah, I might do. <laughs> We'll record again next week. Jeez. <laughs> well done, Paul. That was a really interesting fact. I like that one. It's, I'm, it's, I'm, I was sort of willing you to get that right. I've had a few minutes to calm down now. Yeah. Because all of those totally could have sounded like the guff you've, <laughs> you've come out with in the past. Oh, I'm a bit more relaxed. Okay. Now, it's 1 1. Yeah. And Z- Xanax kicked in. <laughs> you just hear, if you hear a thunk. Halfway through this fact, it's me just collapsing on the floor. Uh, I'm on slightly more comfortable ground this time because I'm back to history. Is it, is it Roman history? <laughs> my ultimate comfort blanket. No, it's not Roman history. Oh, all right, okay. It's actually, there's actually two bits. There's a bit of ancient history and then some Mesoamerican history. Oh, again. you you lo- love your Incas and your Aztecs and stuff at the <laughs> no, minute. No, we'll get to them. Okay. I'll start off because I was going to originally start this fact about the oldest archaeological site in the world. Oh. But I thought you might have heard of this place. Let's go. Of course. It's called um, Gobekli Tepe. Oh. It's in southeast Turkey, and it's a site that's 11,000 years old. Oh, wow. This is true, by the way. Yeah. The reason I didn't do this one, because I thought you might know it. No, I've literally never heard of this before. Uh, Just a bit of background on that place, because I think it's quite an interesting place. There's about 200 pillars in about 20 circles. The pillars are about six metres high, and they weigh up to 10 tonnes. Each? So, yes. So it, this is a really fascinating site. I wish I'd done the fact on this, this one. This sounds then. amazing. Yeah, so basically these prehistoric... Huge circles of pillars. Yeah. There's loads of animal bones there. So it looks like it, it was a hunter-gatherer sacrificial site or sacred oh, right, site okay. to 
dozens of tribes that would descend. I thought when you said place. it was a hunter-gatherer, I thought you meant it like be one hunter-gatherer. Who's <laughs> yeah, just like... one, one really <laughs> busy. He's like, you know what? <laughs> yeah, now I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm going to carve <laughs> 200 pillars out of this nearby rock and set them up. I'm going to make the most of my house. There's loads of ornate carvings of animals on there as well. So I thought it was just really fascinating that Stone Age people had this level of technology. Oh, wow. Modern human behaviours goes back about fifty to 70,000 years. So if you could... Right swap babies over from like 50,000 years ago to one born today, right. there wouldn't be much difference in intelligence or the way they acted. They're very close to us. So Th- This a... sounds like you're concocting some kind of experiment in your head. <laughs> I'm building a time machine to test. <laughs> I'm going to take a baby back in time well, to go back to the that DeLorean. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that was the original fact, but basically I was looking at ancient sites for this fact. Okay. see where I'm going with this mm-hmm. one. And I want to talk about a society that practiced mummification thousands of years before the Egyptian Oh, right. Okay. Now, we're going into Peru now. Right. And it's about 7,000 BC and the Chinchorro culture. Chinchorro. Yes. Now, they they used to mummify their dead. Like I said, this is thousands of years before the Egyptians even started doing it. Right. And it's this mummification. I want you to keep that thought thought in your head. Right. Because we're kind of moving on to the descendants of the Chinchorro culture, the Chiribaya people. Okay. Have you heard of either of these? No. This is good. <laughs> is this all true or is this part this of This is all facts? true. This okay. Is, this is all true. Chinchorro people and then... Their, their descendants were the Chiribaya people. Right. And they, and they, and they can, used to mummify people. They used to mummify people. Oh, and they, right. can, they kind of carried on the practice of mummification of the dead. Okay. Uh, so they were on the southern coast of Peru. Right. They kind of lived around the Atacama Desert, uh, relied a lot on the ocean. But they also farmed llamas as well. Mm-hmm. For meat. This is all true. Okay. Anyway, this is all completely true. How long ago was this? Um, the civilization. It was around 700 AD to about 1360 ish. AD. Yes. So they were still mummifying people, like in the 1300s. Yes. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. So basically, with this lack of water, they had some basic agriculture production, but as I said, they were very reliant on the ocean for mm. fish, and also reliant on their llamas. Mm-hmm. Now this is where you've got that look on your face if I'm... because <laughs> you're doing what you always do, which is to start. <laughs> you start talking about some amazing place in Turkey, and then it's mummification, and this is blatantly going to end up with like llamas can read or something. <laughs> like a llama was once king of the Chiribaya people. No. It's because llamas were so important to this culture, mm-hmm. and but more important than the llamas. Now, this is, this is where we're coming on to, yes, or be, yes. <laughs> Opening a sentence with the words, more important than the llamas, dot, dot, dot. Were the little dogs that used to herd the llamas for them. The Chiribaya dogs. Okay. Now, this is where it's important. Uh, now, you remember the mummification. It's because the dogs were so honoured in Chiribaya society, they, the dogs would be mummified as well. Oh, right, okay. And there is a dog cemetery right. that was dug up, and it, there was bodies of 42 mummified dogs. Right. They kind of look like, if you imagine, like a little squat golden retriever, with like golden retriever, but with short legs. But right. some of them had red hair, some of them were beige kind of a short snout on them. Right. And the Chiribaya people would use these kind of shepherd dogs to shepherd the llamas about. Okay. And they were so valuable to the Chiribaya people that their dogs would get buried with the same honours as a high-ranking member of Chiribaya society. Okay. Is this your fact? This is my fact. That that this culture that used to mummify each other Mm. up until relatively recently in sort of world history... Also used to mummify dogs they used to use to herd llamas. Yes. 
and they look like little golden retrievers. <laughs> this is what I mean. It's like, <laughs> we start off with like the earliest archaeological site in the world and end up with dogs it, it herding gives llamas. You a bit of my, this, I'm giving away my thought process here. This is how I do the There research. is no thought process. <laughs> it's like walking through a rat's nest in your brain. You just start in one direction and you come out like five doors down. Exactly. It's... <sighs> okay. And I thought maybe, am I playing on Paul's love of dogs? I absolutely love dogs. Because the number of dog accounts you follow on Instagram, it's... it's. Yeah, you scroll through my Instagram, it's like dog, 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 CrossFit, dog, dog. Are any of those dogs this little Chirabaya? <laughs> <laughs> no, because they don't exist. <laughs> I'm so, like... Yeah, ages ago, here's a, here's a sort of another story from behind the curtain of Yes, OBS. Mm. When we first trialled this mm. as an idea, I came up with a story of a farmer in Scotland <laughs> who had <laughs> trained an otter to herd his sheep. <laughs> um, and I think that might have ended up on the website as one of the blogs, actually. It, it might do. I, I think can't remember it's, now. It's, we've lost that recording to time. Yeah. So unfortunately, be, yeah, we'll never hear that episode. Top, yeah. It was kind of like the pilot that that the audience never gets so to see. So you've got to ask yourself, Paul, did I steal that fact and replace <laughs> this is what I'm thinking, sheep with llamas? Is that this is that that's one from the annals of yes What have yes. I done? I'm playing the game today, Paul. But then again, you see, you you know that I really like dogs and you like ancient history. So you might have just went, oh, these people used to mummify each other. I'll pick them and I'll say that they used to mummify dogs. Because mm. a dog herding llamas would like... <laughs> I could watch that all day. If there's a YouTube <laughs> video of that. adorable. Yeah, put it on a loop. Mm. Um, oh, you know, I automatically think that you made that up, but maybe it's true. Mm. Because, you know, the Egyptians had their cats. Mm-hmm. And they, did they used to mummify their cats? I think there's some evidence of mummify. I have to double check. I'm like fairly okay. certain. Okay, I I honestly don't know where to go on this. Mm. I instantly thought it was BS, just because you know I like dogs. And dogs herding llamas really appeal to you. Yeah, and we've had the the otters herding sheep story, so this is just sort of like that to mm. the power of ten. But it does kind of sound plausible. Could you have dogs herding llamas? I literally don't know how to answer that question. I'm going to have to go on the mummification thing. And it does sound plausible that they would mummify dogs. But then again, I think you might have just made this up because you know I like dogs. Mm. Oh, I, I'm going to go with it. I'm going to say that that's BS. That was my gut. As soon as you started talking, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to stick with it and say that that's BS. Final answer? Yeah. This is true. Oh, they, no. They did honour their llama herding dogs with that's mummification. amazing. Right, now someone needs to... Find a dog and get it to herd some llamas <laughs> and either video it or invite me along. <laughs> they they actually think, I'm sorry to upset you, Paul, but they think these original dogs might might now be extinct. Oh, that does, uh, yeah. That's, <laughs> I, <laughs> you think? Sorry to get it It doesn't have to be the same dog. It just needs to be no, a dog. No, I mean the species. Yeah. Like um, they thought it might be related to modern Peruvian dogs, but they've done tests on like the mitochondrial DNA, and it doesn't doesn't match up with the mummied. They need mummified to get dogs. John Hammond on the case. If... Now this is we all we often mention bringing back species on this season. Now. Yeah, this, is like, this seems to be the way to go. We need to get the Velociraptor back. If they've got the mitochondrial DNA of mm. these dogs, you know, get the machines in there. We, we all saw that cartoon <laughs> on Jurassic Park. About... I know, Mister DNA. He explained <laughs> yeah, everything exactly. So we've got raptors. Mammoths and now Mammoths, the old yeah. llama herding dogs of Peru. Wow. There you go. 
Oh, well, well done. That's a good fact. Ooh, I was so sure it would have been about dogs that you would have made that up. <laughs> That's why I picked dogs deliberately, because <laughs> I knew you'd think I'd make it up. Yeah, very true. I'm getting true. so, like, 4D chess with this game. <laughs> okay, well, well done, Tons. That was a good, that was a good fact. Oh, thank you. I'm so sure that you were going to make that up if it was about dogs. Speaking of dogs, mm. in a sort of weirdly roundabout way, um, a, a subject that we never really come back to is movies. We haven't done a lot of movie facts. Ah, that's a point. Yeah, the last one we did, I think, was The Blob. It was. Which, yeah, whether it was a true story or not. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to talk about uh, one of, I think, your favourite films. Oh, God. The Neverending Story. You know, I've never actually seen this. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling you might not have seen it, actually. Yeah, I know, um, like, all the weird characters in it, like that long, the big furry dog. snake. Is that a dog? <laughs> 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 the long furry snake. Yeah, it's got like a, a like it's long. Looks like a snake, but with a dog's head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I yeah, thought that it, was like it a, has like legs. A, though was that a dragon? Well, um, actually, it was called a luck dragon. Oh, look at that nailing this! Yeah. I'm feeling confident um, again. Do you, do you know what it's called? Uh, Thomas. <laughs> it's called Falco. <laughs> well, Thomas. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sorry, go yeah. on. Anyway, so before we get on to Falco, which is the sort of gist of my mm. fact, um, some facts about the Never Ending Story. Uh, do you know what year it came out? It's a Ooh. lot older than I thought it was. Early 80s, maybe? 80, yeah, it was, it was 82? 84. 84. Yeah, I thought it was later than that, because I can remember seeing it when I was a kid. Um, I was terrified of it, to be perfectly honest. Uh, so you're not missing much. <laughs> you're easily terrified, though, Paul. Uh, yeah, I am, to be fair. It was directed by Wolfgang Peterson. Do you know which film he directed before The NeverEnding Story? Ooh, something violent, I guess. <laughs> it was Das Boot. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. that, that's what I, I do like, Das Yeah. Is it Das Boot or Das Boot? Das right, Boot. I highly recommend the full six-hour version. <laughs> If you can get your hands on it, it's like it's really good. Oh, well, there you go. Sorry. Uh, yeah, so yeah, the, the, he went from that to uh, the never-ending story, um, and it was based on a book. I didn't know this by a German author called Michael Ender, who hated it. He said it was a revolting movie, um, and he wanted his name removed from the credits. Really? Um, there's a scene in it where there are sort of two sphinx-like creatures that have lasers that fire out of their eyes. Have you ever seen that clip? Ah, oh, it rings a bell. Yeah. Um, he said that they were full-bosomed strippers who sit in the <laughs> desert. Uh, he said it was quite the biggest embarrassment in the film. Is that what they were in the book? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think this was maybe Wolfgang Peterson's oh. vision for what these oh. things should look like. Um, yeah, so uh, he hated it. Jeez. <laughs> so, yeah, unfortunately. Uh, but it was massively successful. It made $100 million, which in modern mm. terms is a quarter of a billion. And here's a fact for you. It needed the biggest blue screen in Hollywood history at the time, or in filmmaking history at the time. 3,000 square foot. Jeez. This uh, blue well, screen. Well, that, that snake thing was massive. It was. Do you want to hazard a guess at how big it is? Because uh, I have the stats on old Falco. 400 feet long. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in your mind's eye. In reality, it was only 43 feet long. Oh, it's um, but it was quite uh, quite the model. You can still um, go and see it if you're ever in the Bavarian Film Platz in Munich. It's in Munich. Yeah, the model is. Yeah, it was a German film. Uh, so you can still go and sit on Falco's back if you oh, really want then, to. Oh, uh, a man can dream. Someone <laughs> get some plane tickets to Munich. <laughs> we can do a live episode. Yeah. From, Sitting on top of Falco. Falco's back. Um, yeah, and uh, Falco was quite the sort of engineering feat because his body was partly made out of an aeroplane fuselage. So it's quite 
quite a thing. Mm. Um, and covered in sort of mesh and fur and feathers and things. But it was a huge model. The head mm. alone weighed 200 pounds, which is about 90 Jeez. kilos. Um, and of course, it had to be sort of operated and all the rest of it. So this posed a problem. Because there are some shots in the film where you don't need the whole, the full 40 feet dog dragon. <laughs> uh, you only need the boy talking to the dog's face. But unfortunately, this thing is sort of aeroplane size. <laughs> so the special effects director, who's a man called Brian Johnson, came up with an idea of building the head of Falco around, and this is my fact, oh. a Volkswagen Beetle. Okay, so okay. the body's sort of aeroplane parts. So they could drive it around. Well, <laughs> I've, li- I've literally just did they drive. Yeah, Sorry, is that what they yeah, did? Yeah, I just pulled up in it outside. Did you <laughs> yeah, not see? Um, yeah, so um, the body was the aeroplane parts. The head was um, not just car parts, but a car. There was a car inside of it. Like a fully functioning Volkswagen Well, vehicle. what they used to do was film the sort of long shots on the soundstage with the huge blue screen thing. Uh, and then for close-up shots where you need, they needed just the head, they, they would, would just drive, drive the really? head off. So that because it was all sort of animatronic, mm. it was all uh, sort of puppet based. The the bottom part of the mouth would come off so that that wasn't dragging across the floor. That would detach, and the eyes and the sort of surrounds, which basically covered the windscreen, they would sort of click out. So they would be removed because they would need to sort of chop and change the eyes for different <laughs> expressions and different How scenes. Did how did the, the driver see where he was going? When yeah, he was because in? that all came out. Oh, so it was oh, just yeah, a windscreen yeah. there. And the hair, which would drag along the ground and would get dirty, used to get sort of pulled up and put in like little bunches with elastic bands. They would then drive it to the smaller soundstage to do the close-up shots, put this thing back together. Presumably the guy would get out of the Volkswagen Beetle <laughs> while, they were, while they were filming it. <laughs> just stay in there, John. Yeah. Give us five minutes. Um, and then they would do the close-ups and then they'd go, right, we need the head back on the thing for the long shots. Uh, they'd take it apart. The guy would get back in the car and they'd, you know, beep, beep, <laughs> beep, reversing into Falco's neck. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, they'd use that for the long shots. So this is my fact that inside Falco, the luck dragon was a Volkswagen Beetle. You don't know how badly I want this to be true. It sounds such a quaint... 1980s thing to do mm. but then again I'm kind of going for your facial expression again it's again that it doesn't help when I do that no it doesn't <laughs> I think usually, we keep saying this I'm and usually, I think it works like half the time exactly it's the yeah. problem, that's the problem with a 50-50 guess <laughs> game that we've got yeah so it was a like a completely normal Volkswagen Beetle fully functioning yeah and yeah. just bolted ahead Around. Yeah. By the sounds of it, they, they sort of built the head around the car because they knew it was going to be logistically, it was going to be really hard to operate it and to move it around from set to set. So this sort of so solved the problem. Uh, so you mentioned the head itself was 200 pounds? 200 pounds, 90 yeah. kilos. That obviously isn't the weight of the car as well. Oh, no, that's just the, that's head, just the, the head, the framework of the, the, head, yeah, of the so, head. So the car, the car was supporting that. Right. So you can imagine if you kind of have to move that, plus all of the sort of mechanisms and stuff that's going on inside, uh, it's going to be pretty bad. So, um, yeah, they built it around a car so that it could be moved from set to set. I I just want this to be true. I might just take a guess and say this is completely true now. You need to go and see the film. <laughs> I'll be keeping the key out <laughs> But then again, it's also something that You've done this to me many times in the past where you've come up with a nice little quaint little story. You love your schmaltzy stories. I do. You immediately grab us with the schmaltz every time. Mm. But you know what? I'm just going to go out on a limb because I want this to be true. Mm-hmm. I want to say that this is, yes, this is true. Okay. They drove Falco's head around <laughs> in a Volkswagen Beetle. Okay. Final answer? Yes. That story? Oh, yes. 
is BS. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I completely made that up. I'm sorry. Everything up to that is completely true. But so no, was this, his head detachable? Like, um, they... I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but he was 40 foot long, and the head did weigh 200 pounds. Mm. So it was logistically an, an enormous. Now puppet. that I think about it, like to put a framework around. A Volkswagen Beetle. That head would be enormously disproportionate <laughs> to the size of the body. <laughs> I probably think about it. Now that I've gone through the schmaltz <laughs> Yeah, it was an enormous puppet, but no, it didn't. God, you that. compare that to a child, like who he's supposed to be acting with. Like, how would they even operate it now? Why am I, Why did I ask these questions five minutes I ago? Know. I think you've had a mare. Oh, my, it's like my confidence is all over the place. <laughs> was... So no, it was a huge puppet, but it didn't have a Volkswagen Beetle inside of it. I'm sorry. Jeez. Oh, well. Now you know how to model your next car then anyway. <laughs> I'm just going to make one of them and just drive it around. Okay, Paul. Uh, well done. It's now 2-2. Two, two. Mm. Now, if you remember back about an hour ago to the beginning of this episode, I promised a vengeance fact. Yes. Because we've done this to each other many times. Yes. Where We've either picked some obscure topic and come up with a crazy story around it. C.S. Lewis, we've gone back and forth on yeah. trying to get facts about him. Yeah. You had Sir Tatton Sykes. I had. Oh. I, I came back with Bill Bokes. <laughs> Bill Bokes. That's a blast from the past. It is. Okay. And you may remember way back in season one. Oh, God. You had... People eating banknotes cured impotence because they had Viagra in them. Yes. And this is where I'm going to go today. Oh, you've got a Viagra fact. Is this based on your shopping list? (laughs) Straight out with this one. And I say, Viagra cures jet lag in hamsters. (laughs) There's no preamble to this. I'm, I'm getting the fact out there. Straight out off the straight out the gate. <laughs> oh no! Viagra cures jet lag in hamsters. I absolutely have to get this right because if I get this wrong, I the humiliation is going to be too great. No, I'm afraid I didn't write the year down when this research was done. But well, you did it a couple of days ago, didn't you? <laughs> With my pet hamster. When it accidentally <laughs> ate your supply. So this research was done by a man called Diego Golombek. You've made this up. At, <laughs> at Quilmes National University in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Okay. Now, I set my fact in Colombia. Oh, mm-hmm. is this part of my rich tapestry of lies? Oh, no. Or is this true? Okay. So, how does Viagra cure jet lag in hamsters? What a question. But we'll get onto that in a second, because the test itself, the hamsters. Now, how do you give a hamster jet lag? This is what we're getting to. This is how this is how you give hamsters jet lag. Now, as you know, hamsters are nocturnal, so awake during yes. the night, asleep during the day. Okay. Now, the scientist, Mr. Golombek, he had his hamsters. They were used to they were used to a regular cycle of fourteen hours of light where they would sleep, followed by ten hours in the darkness when they'd be active. And he measured how active they were by how much they used their running wheels inside their cages during the dark periods. <laughs> So what he... every single thing you're saying is just a, so, like a cavalcade of ridiculousness. So what he did, he injected half of his hamsters with 70 micrograms of Viagra. Why? And then a few, a few hours later, he switched the cage lights on <laughs> to six hours earlier than the hamsters were used to light being on. So they were like, whoa, what's happening? It's daytime already. And it, it simulated a six hour time shift. 
which was a typical flying time from New York to Paris. Mm-hmm. He did this for a few weeks, and he noticed the abrupt shift left many of the rodents disoriented and jet-lagged. Their body clocks failed to immediately adjust, so that even when the lights went out, they steered clear of their running wheels. Right. So, they, so, so he tired these hamsters out so that they didn't want to use their running wheels. Uh-huh. But he found when he gave them that 70 micrograms of Viagra, it helped them adjust to that time zone shift. And they were back on their running wheels in no time. <laughs> 50% faster than the hamsters who were still jet lagged. So they weren't finding it difficult to run for any particular reason. <laughs> <laughs> I believe they were all male hamsters. No, no, I think there was a mix. I don't, I don't, I don't know the specifics of this because I've made it. I mean, it's a, <laughs> so the hamsters that didn't get Viagra, it took them 12 days to become accustomed to their new schedule. Right. And the other hamsters who had Viagra only six days. So now I right. know exactly what to take on my next flight. <laughs> well, you take it anyway, don't you? <laughs> right. So Paul. Is that true or did I sit down and write a pack of lies about hamsters using their running wheels and getting jet lag? God. Right, okay. Quick recap because my brain is malfunctioning. Yes. The uh, This was in Argentina. It was. When was this carried out? Uh, I've not written down the year. Okay. I think it was four It's a or recent five. study. Recent though. study, okay. yes. Okay. Uh, the guy's name? Diego Golombek. Okay. Do you know the name of his assistant? Oh, God. Patricia Agostino. Okay, that's not too bad. Mm. That's not too bad. I'm just, I'm just adding to the fact. Yeah, because I'm now adding I'm getting flashbacks to when you had that fact about I think it was pigs driving cars. <laughs> and you were going to do what did you do with the names of the pigs? And you'd call them like Ollie and Misty. They, exactly. It's all... My facts are rich tapestries. <sighs> so have you even made up the name of the assistant? Oh, right. Okay. So he has these hamsters. Yes. They're asleep for 14 hours? Uh, 14 hours of daylight where they're asleep. So oh, he... 14 hours of daylight they're asleep. Yes. 10 hours of nighttime. Yes. When they're up and about playing on their wheels. Yes. So, after four hours of nighttime, he, he turned the, the lights, lights on, on to simulate morning. Right. So, they got very confused. And he does this repeatedly until the hamsters get the equivalent of jet, jet lag. lag. Yes. And then... He starts he... injecting them with Viagra. <laughs> Injects them with Viagra. Yes. 70 grams of Viagra. Now, I don't know an awful lot about Viagra, Actually, but I know I don't it's know not if it was injected. It just said received small doses. Right. Okay. A Viagra. Oh, sorry. 70 micrograms. I Jesus. I was going to say... <laughs> <laughs> The whole, the, the hamster's completely turgid. <laughs> it just can't move at all. No wonder they weren't using the running wheels. Um, okay. Yes, and it took the non-Viagra hamsters 12 days to adjust, and the Viagra hamsters only half that time. <sighs> right, okay. Why Viagra? I don't like, know. What, like, what, there must be, if this is a true study... There has to be something that's in Viagra other than the obvious that has some kind of there, general there stimulant effect. There was a scientific explanation that I didn't understand. Right, okay. It's something to do with raising levels of glucose and blood sugars or something. Okay. So why but why Viagra then just give them a glucose tablet? <laughs> give them a bottle of Lucasade. Like, if it's just energy, that's not, that's not solving jet lag. That's just, like, keeping them awake. It like I said... Why Viagra? This is insane. The specifics of the science, I don't know. 
And what's the point of this? Is it is this so that like like humans can take Viagra to get over jet yes, lag? Yes, that's part is of the that the conclusion to, of the study? Yes, we could use small doses in the future. Oh God Almighty! See, the thing is, I have got to say that this is BS because if I say that this is true. <laughs> And you've made this up. I will. This this is going to knock pigs driving cars into a cocked hat. This is this is ex- this is why I've called it my vengeance fact today. Because oh. I, I want like I sat down and thought, right, I need to throw you off as much as possible today. Like my confidence is right back up the top now. The thing is though, it's like <clears throat> the way that you're coming out with this stuff. It you you said it really confidently, mm. which means that you've either written this and then proofread it and then rehearsed it and worked on it mm. or you've just copied and pasted it and you're completely confident about the facts <laughs> oh god I don't have the names of the hamsters unfortunately <laughs> uh, oh, I, I, you know what I'm kind of tempted just to say it's true mm. because I said the the pigs driving cars was true you said the Colombians eating their banknotes was true mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> I just it's nice that you are on the back foot for a change. It's usually me. Yeah. I, you know, I, yeah. Um, the easy route out of this would be to say that it's BS and literally not care about the point because I just don't want to make an ass of myself. But there's just, just it could be true. It could be true. So why not take the plunge? I, yeah. Okay. Yes. I, <laughs> yes. An Argentinian you... scientist. Is that give hamsters Viagra as part of an experiment into getting them over jet lag? Are you one hundred percent sure? That no, that's because your final no, <laughs> I'm not. I need another minute here because you're you're already laughing. Oh, do I switch to BS? No, no, I'm going to stick with my guns. I, I'm going to go down in a blaze of glory, surrounded by turgid hamsters, f- filled with Viagra. I'm going to say that this is true. Now, speaking of autobiography quotes, <laughs> that's one for you. Right. I'm, all, I'm already writing my eulogy. Right, is that your final answer? Oh, this is true. God, yeah, let's just get this point over with. So, Diego Golombek mm-hmm. at Cumas National University, Buenos Aires. <laughs> You've made this up. Give Viagra to hamsters to cure jet lag. Yep. You've made this up. It's completely true. Uh, no way. It is. That man needs to get out more. <laughs> <laughs> what? That's insane. That's completely true. That's insane. And it may well cure jet lag in humans in the future. That's insane. That's a brilliant fact. Like I said, I'd, the, there was a big scientific... I thought it would hurt me more to try and explain the science. <laughs> yeah, we, we're stringing the science yet <laughs> yeah, again. Exactly. That never, wow. that never goes well. That's That's <clears throat> ridiculous. I literally just saw that headline, Viagra cures jet lag and hamsters, and I thought, that's it. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm going with for my vengeance facts. That's blatantly going to be in the title of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Whoa, wow. Yeah, I'll take the point, but well done, Tony. That is an amazing Oh, no, well fact. done you, Paul. You saw through my oh, vengeance ruse. My bravery pays off. I completely <laughs> just went... Like it's BS because I don't want to make an ass of myself. Yeah. If that was, if you'd made that up and I'd said it was true, yeah. I'd never have lived it you down. Wouldn't. Oh dear! I kind of wish I, it was made up now. But oh. Not completely true. I'm exhausted. <laughs> well, that was a good fact, Tony. Thank you. Uh, this it's what is it three two three two to you? To me. So yeah, this is going to end in another draw, isn't it? It is. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so I'm gonna. I, this fact is gonna go somewhere, but I'm gonna start with a little preamble about the history of teddy bears. Ooh. Do you know who they're name, named after? Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. Do you know the story about it? Um, was it he, he, he either shot an adult bear and he adopted the cub or oh, right. something like yeah, that? Yeah, it's along those lines. He was on a hunting trip in Mississippi in mm. 1902 and he was the only member of the hunting party that hadn't actually shot anything. So a bear cub was found mm. and chained to a tree for just to shoot, shoot a sport and he refused in, in his sort of humane way. Um, and this was sort of seized on in the kind of media that didn't like Teddy Roosevelt that mm. it was sort of him showing weakness. So there was a um, there was a a really famous cartoon was in the Washington Post and the caption was drawing the line in Mississippi and it's like Mm. Teddy Roosevelt turning his back on this tiny little bear cub and so off the back of that some toy shops in New York started selling stuffed bears and called them teddy bears and I had um, heard that and kind of fudged it together a bit. Yeah, I think there's lots of different versions of the story, but I think this one's the sort of canon one. Here's a little follow-on fact for you. The, the teddy bears proved hugely popular. Uh, so in 1908, William Taft, who was the next president, tried to kind of monopolise on the success by introducing the Billy Possum, <laughs> which was a toy possum uh, that he wanted his supporters to buy. Because um, know... everybody loves possums. <laughs> well, it's funny you should say that. You know the reason why he picked a possum? Was he mentally deranged? Because <laughs> he used to eat them. <laughs> wrong with them yeah he used to eat roast possum and potatoes um, so much so that they, they made this toy possum not surprised um, he didn't get a second term <laughs> yeah his uh, his team thought that the teddy bear fad would kind of drift out um, as and soon as possum eating <laughs> fad was in as soon as uh, Teddy Roosevelt was out of office they thought the teddy bears would go with them and everyone would buy these possums and of course I mean, uh, yeah. They were all medley doing It <laughs> didn't, didn't happen, unfortunately. <laughs> but my story isn't about teddy bears. It's about... <laughs> this is... It's about is... heads of state <laughs> shooting bears. This is one of... It's like one of my convoluted facts. I've, yeah. I've shoehorned in something. I've taken you one angle and I'm going another. Okay. Okay, so heads forget about Teddy Roosevelt. Okay. I'm going to talk to you about the time that... King Juan Carlos of Spain mm-hmm. went to Russia mm-hmm. and shot a bear that had been force-fed honey mixed with vodka. Okay. What? So this was in... <laughs> brace yourselves. Okay. This was in 2006. It was this reason. <laughs> what the hell's wrong with them? So King Juan Carlos, uh, mm-hmm. the, the king of Spain, is on a hunting trip in uh, Vologda, which is about um, 250 miles north mm-hmm. of Moscow. And while he's out and about with his little hunting trip, he sees a bear lumbering its way across a field. So one shot, the king takes it down. Okay. And, you know, he has, he's the king. He takes it, you know, takes it in his stride, goes back to the hunting lodge, has a drink. A couple of days later... What happens? Someone called Sergei Starotsim writes a letter to the sort of local um, whoever's in charge of uh, conservation in the area. Uh, Sergei, I should say, was the deputy head of the local hunting and conservation department. Okay. And he says, the king of Spain (laughs) just shot a bear. But this bear was uh, very well known in the area because he was called Mitrofan, the bear. (laughs) And he was, in Sergei's own words, a good-humoured and jolly bear who lived on a farm in (laughs) Novlinskaya. So he was sort of half tame. But unfortunately, um, his minders thought, oh, the king of Spain's knocking around. He needs something to shoot at. Mitrofan uh, will 
take this guy across. How do we get this team bear to do what we want? Uh, we'll mix <laughs> some honey and some vodka together, force feed it to old Mitrofan. So Mitrofan's high as a kite. He's got, he's, he's having a he's good got day. sugar and booze in that's, his system. That's just your regular diet, isn't it? <laughs> that's what you chug yeah, in the morning. That's how I get warmed up for the gym. And Mitrofan, off he goes wandering across the field. What happens next? Only goes and gets shot by the king of Spain. <laughs> what is, well, wasn't that... Was that the goal of the, the minders of Mitrofan? Did they want him to get shot? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, apparently so. It was all part of the uh, the hunting lodge debacle. So, uh, Sergei writes this letter to the local governor of uh, Vologda and complains that this has happened. Um, and so the uh, local jurisdiction kind of don't really want to do anything about it. Mm. A, because it's not illegal to give vodka to a bear in Russia, of course. It's very specific law that yeah. you have to make to not do that. Right? And second of all, the person in, in, involved in this was the king of Spain. So mm. they don't really want to kind of dredge all of this up. But the sort of mounting public pressure because Mitrofan was He's such beloved. a popular bear. Mm. Um, so they do launch an, an inquiry um, and it turns out that the king because he didn't know that the bear had been kind of doped up and, in, <laughs> and inebriated, um, he didn't know that this was a sort of easy ploy, you know, just shoot that bear kind of thing. He just mm. thought it was a genuine hunting trip. Um, and because it's and not... He, he didn't question when a drunk bear <laughs> well, stumbled I, I, out I'm, of the world. I'm guessing <laughs> that he didn't know it was drunk. Um, yeah, old, maybe old Mitrofan can handle his liquor. I don't know. <laughs> well, he is Russian. Um, that's what they're known for. Yeah, and because it's not illegal to give vodka to a bear, um, they couldn't really do anything about mm. the, the minders. So the whole story sort of disappeared. Disappeared. But in 2006, the king of Spain shot a drunk bear in rural Russia. Right. This sounds believable. Why was the king of Spain in Russia? Just on a, was it a it state? Was just a was hunting it? trip. Just a hunting trip. Yeah. Yeah. He's just enjoying himself. He's on holiday <laughs> in a in a hunting resort in Russia. He doesn't know the bear's drunk. This is, like I said, it's very believable. Mm-hmm. But it's just got that. Little twist of you've just Googled Russia, <laughs> picked a king, and then, oh, you know, you've probably thought of teddy bears first, which is quite a famous fact. Mm. And then you thought, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to fudge some sort of ridiculous lie mm-hmm. around it. But this does sound like it could have happened, though. Has there been any consequences since then? Nope. Right. The whole diplomatic incident just disappeared. Was there not like a violent backlash against the minders? Like, oh, you've killed... <laughs> Maybe there was in Russia, but uh, it wasn't sort of wildly reported on, I think. What was, what was the bear's name again? Mitrofan. What does, it, does that mean anything? Like, in Oh, Russia? I don't know. No, yeah. I, I don't speak Russian, like unfortunately. Drunk, honey-loving, vodka-filled man. <laughs> <laughs> Very specific name, that's, but that's anyway. That's what I'm listed in your phone as, isn't it? <laughs> right, I'm just going to go... First good instinct to say this is true. Okay. You're saying that the king of Spain shot a drunk bear in Russia. Yes. That story mm-hmm. is true. <laughs> <laughs> well done, yeah. Poor Mitrofan. Oh, bless him. A good-natured and jolly bear. I get him Cut just... down in his, in his prime. God, I can't even picture a drunk what a drunk bear would look like. You know, it's a horrible story, and I hate hunting, and trophy hunting especially, but I 
pay good money to see a drunk bear. I'm not yeah. going to lie. It's like there's a line, there's a line Paul won't cross, <laughs> but he'll get animals drunk. Yeah. So what have we learned today, Paul? Well, yeah, we learned that about the King of Spain. And um, yeah, my unfortunately, Falco doesn't have a Volkswagen Beetle inside of his head. But... Uh, some fun miracles. Uh, John Bean face <laughs> with beans in his ear or whatever yeah. he was called. Henry VI uh, was almost, possibly completely, but almost canonised because of a ludicrous series of And again, of I'm not miracles. surprised he wasn't canonised. If I'd read that, if yeah. that came my way. Yeah. Uh, from my side, we learned that you can cure jet lag in hamsters with Viagra. That's... Uh, I'm still reeling from that. Mm. We also learned that there were little mummified dogs that used to herd llamas in yeah. Peru. I think all of mine were true today. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, all yours were true. Yeah. What was your first one again? Yeah, my first one was like sign language has accents as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know what? Look, thinking back, like most of my facts have been true in season three and it hasn't thrown you off at all yet. No. I, we, we're still drawing most of these. I think so. I think it's now... Um, I don't know what the score is on this series. I think it's two draws and a win each. I yeah, think. that might be right. It's just going to end completely even. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we need something to break so the deadline. Like every season. We'll, <laughs> we'll, have, we'll end it with a test of strength. <laughs> <laughs> something something to break the deadlock. <laughs> we'll put that on the Patreon. <laughs> Me and Paul in a test of strength. I'll be fighting a Velociraptor. You can take on Mitrofan the Bear. So we're we're really promising a lot for this <laughs> Patreon bonus content that we've got. Spoiler alert, that won't be in there. <laughs> Oh, you never know. Test of strength could be fun. But if you'd like to head over there and check out the bonus content we've got, that'd be mm. great. The details are on the website. Yesobs.com. And then you'll find the Patreon link on there. We should point out as well that um, if you want to play the game yourselves, there's over 100 blogs on there where you can... Oh, yeah. Yeah. we've yeah. Got, I've not written one in about six months. Ago, <laughs> so. But yeah, if, if you're listening to this and you want to play this game for yourself, yeah, there's like... You can play individual stories on there and decide whether they're true or false. And mm. yeah, there's like I said, a whole quiz on there. You should, yeah, you should get yourselves along to yeah. yes, <laughs> Exactly. As the tumbleweed blows across the website, <laughs> everyone's switched off by now. Yeah. Well, folks, it's as always, it's a pleasure. And we will catch you next week.